morning, guys. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. I've got an exciting word for us. Um, I do believe that God has provoked in me something that He wants to share with us this morning. And I want to ask you, how are you? How are you? As Sahara would say, you look amazing. You all look amazing. Look at the person next to you and tell them they're amazing. Except Sahara said, look at the person next to you and tell them you're amazing, which I don't think is the right way that we should be doing it. All right, bring it back, you rebellious people. Bring it back, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so, sorry, my name is Dylan. I'm married to the wonderful Robin. She's on, upstairs on King's Kids. If you don't know us, we'd love to be able to get to know you. We've been in Dubai now about just, just under five years. And so this is our fifth summer here. And every summer in Dubai, I have found God brings me to this place of deep reflection, of looking at my life and taking stock. And I felt as though God had asked me this question last week. I was in the gym, and I know you guys think, well, whenever he preaches, he always talks about the gym. That's not all I do. It's just when I'm there, I'm so focused on the Lord. It's spiritual, lifting weights and stuff, and God's speaking to me. Okay. But I felt, though, that God had asked me, Dylan, are you more like Christ this year than you were last year? And I pondered on that. And I thought, in this last year, it's very sobering to think about that question in light of everything that goes on in my life. And I thought about at my highest moment this last year, at my highest mountain, when I was most happy, did it move me to become more like Jesus? I thought my saddest moment this last year, my, my valley, did that move me to become more like Jesus? And I contemplated my decisions this last year, and I really thought about the fact that did those decisions move me to become more like Jesus? And my question to you this morning is are you more like Christ today than you were yesterday? Now, maybe you had a fight with your spouse yesterday. So are you more like Christ today than you were three days ago or four days ago or a year ago? But you get the question. I think this is one of the most important questions that we as Christ followers should be asking ourselves on a regular basis. And the reason for that is because if you spend time reading the Word of God, you see that it is filled with God calling us to become more like Christ. This morning we're going to jump into 2 Corinthians 3.18. It's a very short verse. Not that short, but it's, it's one verse. It's, it's good enough to keep our attention. And we're going to unpack what it means for us to be more like Christ every single day as we go along. Before we read it, I want to pray for us. And I want to ask you that if you have your Bibles with you, you can open there as well. But I'm going to pray. God, this morning we ask that you would come and open up our hearts and our minds to receiving what you want to say over us. Would you cause in us, Lord God, a desire to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. Even as I preach this morning, God, I, I pray that you continue to work this out in me. That we would all become people who long to be more like Christ every single day. Would you anoint our ears to hear whatever is in the way 
We just pray for all distractions to be cast aside this morning, that we would hear you. We ask that you would be with us this morning and speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so 2 Corinthians 3.18. Let's read together. Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, and he says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Very beautiful verse, very provoking. But in able to preach to you this morning, we need to unpack that a little bit. And so when Paul says, with unveiled face, what is he talking about over there? And our context here is that Paul is using a reference to the old covenant that the Israelites had with God through Moses. When Moses led the Israelites out of, the, out of Egypt, God was physically present in a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. And when Moses would enter the tent to speak with God, the light of God's glory would shine upon Moses' face in such a way that the Israelites were afraid to look at the glory of God coming off Moses' face. Therefore, he would wear a veil. Now, is Paul telling us to wear a veil? No. The reason Paul says unveiled faces is because just as Moses was able to enter into God's presence without a veil, you can read about that in Exodus 34, so too for us, the other side of the cross, when one turns to faith in Jesus, the veil, our separation, has been removed and we can clearly see God. When one turns to faith in Jesus, and I mean here, you didn't just pray a prayer to say, I accept you and I go on living my own life. Coming to faith in Jesus means that you believe that he died for your sin and rose to life so that you can have right standing with God. When you believe in Christ, the veil is removed and our hard hearts towards God have been changed and we can now see God the way that Moses did face to face. That's a really long way of saying, or Paul is saying, of Christians who've been born again. They have trusted in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And every genuine follower of Jesus has an unveiled face. That's why Paul says we all with unveiled faces. We all who have come to trust in Christ. We all now have nothing blocking our view from seeing the glory of God. And that's what Paul is saying here. There's no more veil. The sin has been removed. We are now able to see and behold God. So he says, we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord. And that word beholding is quite important because beholding is observing and seeing with serious contemplation. The ESV says, that we all with unveiled faces behold the glory of the Lord. But the NIV says, just to help us understand this, we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. And to behold and contemplate, almost imagine with me if your eyes had their own hands, that whatever they looked at, 
They reached out and grabbed that which was in their view and they brought it closer to focus on it, to analyze it, to ponder, to contemplate, to meditate. That's what it means to behold, to see, to be captivated by what you're looking at. So because the veil has been lifted, we are now able to see and behold the glory of God, to contemplate. So we all, with nothing blocking our view, are able to see and focus on the glory of the Lord. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit is transforming us into the same image of glory from one degree of glory to another. And so the, 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 what Paul is saying here, the imagery that he's using as he brings Moses back into the Scriptures and helps us understand what's going on there, he's showing us what the life of the Christian is supposed to look like. He says, with nothing blocking our view, that leads to beholding the glory of the Lord. And the result, big part here, is we are transformed by the Holy Spirit into the image of God that He created us in the garden. That same image that reflects His character and His holiness and His purity, we are being transformed back into the image of God that was distorted by sin. Essentially, when we behold God's glory, the Holy Spirit takes us on a process of making us more and more like Jesus every single day. Does that make sense? Are you guys with me? What a provoking verse to read. Super provoking. Beautiful imagery. A wonderful way to tell us that as we look at God, we are being transformed on a day-to-day -day basis more into the image of Christ. Now, as we look at this, as we look at this provoking verse, it leaves us with a couple of thoughts to do some serious contemplation on. First thought that I want to leave with you today. Number one, we are what we watch. We become what we watch. This is not just a catchy little saying. It's a direct paraphrase out of 2 Corinthians 3.18, that we become what we watch. You've probably heard it said another way that we become what we behold. And the reason for this is the reason why we become the very things that we spend time looking at is it's the way we were created. Back in Genesis 1.27, we see the creation of, of us, of humankind, was God created them male and female in His image. And to be created in God's image means you're an image bearer. You bear the image of God's holiness, His character, His perfection. And so, and I know as Christians we don't like to hear this because why? Our sin leads us to selfishness. Is Your life is not about reflecting yourself. Your life is about reflecting God. To be an image bearer, to reflect God, is to show the world who He is, not who we are. Now, the, one of the biggest problems that Christians face in the 21st century is the endless amounts of entertainment that surrounds our life. Every waking moment, every time our eyes are open, our attention is contended for by the world around us. As I did some stats to understand this a little bit more, the average person watches 1,692 hours of TV in a year. 
That's 141 hours a month, 32 hours a week, 5 hours a day, 12 to 13 years of your life spent watching TV. Right? The average teenager spends 9 hours a day on, on social media, scrolling. When our life is filled with non-stop entertainment, watching endless hours of series, media, um, all sorts of things, what do you think we end up reflecting? When we are watching hours and hours of soul-numbing series and movies and scrolling on social media and being entertained by the world, we allow those things to feed us, to shape us, and to tell us Christians how to live. As I've pondered it this week, I have found it absolutely absurd that we as Christians allow our lives to be shaped and formed and told how to live by a world that doesn't even believe in God. If we seriously want to be transformed into the image of God, we've got to stop scrolling and binge watching the world. We've all experienced this in our life to some degree. When Robin and I, my wife, when we moved to Dubai, I started watching the TV show Friends. Now, Friends is quite lighthearted, quite funny. And what turned out to be just once or twice a week, literally for a couple hours, turned into a few hours every single day for a whole year. And I found myself actually making jokes like the characters from the show. I found my personality developing traits like the people I was watching in the show. And I know that sounds funny, but I noticed that over that year, I became increasingly sarcastic to the people around me. I used humor to break down my friends, and I allowed too much sexual, in, sexual innuendo to fill my mind. And what I saw over that year is that I started to become what I was beholding first-hand experience. If you think that's not you at all, it's not just TV, how much do you fill your mind with the world compared to how much time you fill your mind with Christ? How much time do you as an individual, and I'm, I'm not condemning you, I'm provoking you to, to, to see something here. How much time do we spend watching the world, allowing it to shape us and feed us, tell us how to live, versus how much time we spend watching Christ, allowing Him to shape us, to feed us, and show us how to live. Might there be some truth as to why we live in weakness and failure in the temptations of our lives? Might there be some truth as to why we don't see the effect in the marketplace that we long to see? Might there be some truth why our relationships can never be fixed, why we continue to make poor life decisions? Could it be that we have allowed ourselves to become shaped by the world because we spend all our time watching it? We become what we behold. There's a gentleman by the name of Martin Luther King. You would know his name very well. He was a pastor in the 19th century. 
And he led a movement in America that forever changed the lives of many people as he stood for racial injustice and inequality. Really, get to know what this man had done. Late one evening, he received a phone call of someone raging death threats into his ear. And as he hung up the phone, instantly fear filled his heart and he began to worry about his and his family's safety. And in the book, Stride Towards Freedom, he actually writes about this moment. Immediately, he sat down at his kitchen table and he went into a time of prayer and reliance on God. And this is what he writes, what happened in that moment. If we can put it up, please, Kenzie. At that moment, I experienced the divine as I had never experienced God before. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And God will be at your side forever. Almost at once, all my fears instantly, <clears throat> sorry, all my fears began to go. My uncertainty disappeared. I was ready to face anything. Do you think it would have been the same if Martin Luther King had an iPhone or a Netflix account? Would time with God at the kitchen table have been that attractive of an option for him? You see, the secret to Martin Luther King's story is not that he chose to do the right thing in the right moment. It's that this man cultivated a life of intimacy with God, where his habit, the thing he turned to immediately, was prayer and reliance with God, where our habits are pulling out our phones and scrolling and watching something. You and I are being challenged today, not condemned, challenged to thinking seriously, what's the priority in my heart? What's the main focus? Robin and I have the privilege, really a privilege, of working with all the young adults, youth, and kids in the life of the church. And with young adults and youth, it's a lot of discipleship, meeting up, chatting through, praying, going on a journey. And I have found, even as it's the greatest joy, that the main two areas of discipleship that happens with a young person, generally the, the next generation or the young adult generation, is this one thing, struggling to hear God's voice and have deep intimacy with Him. And as we have unpacked that and Robin and I have gone through this journey of the last five years, we've seen that the main, the, the main food that feeds the Christian diet is the world. And so for someone who longs to have deep intimacy with God, it's a real struggle to enter into intimacy when the world is our diet and not time with God. It's true for all of us, friends, not just for teenagers and young adults. If the world and everything in it is the focus of our eyes, we become like the world and everything in it. If Jesus is the focus of our eyes, we become what we behold. And this is not about legalism. I promise you this week as I was preparing, I was saying, God, I pray that this message doesn't come across as legalism. I don't want to set you off so that you can go and build a to-do list and then you can be disappointed and frustrated because we know that our works are like filthy rags to God. 
I'm not telling you to go out there and do more for the gospel. I'm asking you to look at what's already happened and let that, be, let that cause in you a response to make Christ the main priority in your life. I'm provoking you today to look into your heart and ask yourself the question, does my heart really long for God? Do I really hate the sin that is in my heart? Do I really want to display Christ for the world to see His glory so that others can come to know Him? Do you want to become holy? Do you want to become new so that you can see like Christ? You can be like Christ. You can overcome like Christ. You can care and love like Christ. Because if you do, there's one main agenda point, and it's to watch Jesus a lot. That's it. If you want to become like Christ, if you long to see the difference in your life that only Christ could bring, watch Christ a lot. Because when we do, when we behold the glory of God and we allow ourselves to be transformed into the image of Christ, we become like Him. We then have victory over the failures and weaknesses in our lives. We have the effect in the marketplace we long to see when those in the marketplace look at our life and say, that gentleman is so different to any other man I've ever met before. And it provokes in them to ask you the question, why are you different? We begin to make wise life decisions. Our relationships enter into places of wholeness and healing when we spend time watching Jesus. Paul shows us that as we watch Christ a lot, I want to emphasize that a lot, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. But it's not immediate. It's not like you watch Jesus today and you're perfectly like him tomorrow. It says that we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. And the Holy Spirit enters in with the beautiful work of sanctification in the Christian life. It's a beautiful progress where our obedience is met by the Holy Spirit's work in our life to transform us to become more like the Son of God. From one degree of glory to another, we become more like Christ. And it leads us to this next point, is that there is no sanctification without the Savior. There's no change without the cross. If there's a secret to sanctification, it's that the Holy Spirit has a, a direct line to the cross when it comes to our sanctifying work. If you want to overcome sin, if you want to be a better husband, a better wife, if you want to love your kids well, if we want to be reach, if we want to reach people for Christ, if we want to display Christ in this world, there's one thing. We've got to watch Christ a lot. And then the Holy Spirit uses that as the sanctifying work to transform us into the glory of the image of God. All change in the Christian life that does not spring from the cross is superficial because it's not eternal. It doesn't, doesn't last. It's just temporary. There's a Scottish pastor. He's a man who really loved God. He lived in the 18th century. His name is Horatius Bernard. And he was really famous for writing things about the holiness of God and how Christians can actually walk in the holiness of God. 
In a book called God's Way of Holiness, he describes the work of sanctification. If we can put it up. The secret of a believer's holy walk is his continual recurrence, constantly coming back to the blood of the surety, Jesus, and his daily communion with the crucified and risen Lord. All divine life, all precious fruits of it, pardon, peace, holiness, spring from the cross. All fancied sanctification which does not arise wholly from the blood of the cross is nothing better than Pharisaism. Next slide. If we would be holy, we must get to the cross and dwell there. Otherwise, all our labor, diligence, fasting, praying, and good works will leave us void of real sanctification, destitute of those humble, gracious tempers which accompany a clear view of the cross. It's all about the cross of Jesus Christ. And what Horatius Bernard is doing is he's not denying the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, part of our sanctification. His concern was that we can be so quick to, to lose sight of the cross, that we can be so quick to lose sight of the risen Savior who has overcome the grave, who has defeated sin and death and won our salvation for all eternity. What he's saying here is that all sanctification springs from that. The cross upon which Jesus won your salvation. That's where we dwell. And the Holy Spirit uses that as the work of sanctification in our life. He has the simple truth. As Christ followers, if we want to display Christ, you cannot reflect light if you are not regularly exposed to it. You cannot reflect light if you aren't exposed to it regularly. Friends, I'm not exhorting you to go out and do more, as I said earlier. I'm helping you remove all the clutter that has formed its way in front of your eyes so that when you sift through all of that, you are able to see and behold the glory of the risen Christ again. I'm not calling you to go and do more. I'm calling you to look inside and say, what are all the things that have caught its way into my life so that I can ask Christ to rip it out so that I can behold and see Him only as the main priority, the prize of my heart, the apple of my eye. Kevin DeYoung is an American theologian and he says this beautiful thing because I don't want you to walk away here thinking you must go do more. That's not what the gospel's about. He says this, the secret of the gospel is that we actually do more when we hear less about all that we need to do for God and we hear more about all that God has already done for us. Isn't that beautiful? We actually do more when we hear all about God has already done for us. My job this morning is to remind you of the same old story the gospel. We can never outgrow our need for the gospel. What has ensured your salvation to be true and eternally lasting is nothing of your own merit. You and I don't sit here today because we chose Christ. We don't sit here today because we've climbed a ladder and earned God's love. We sit here today 
purely by grace through faith alone, the gift of God that is not your own doing. Because Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not for all except for Akiva. We know that you're not perfect. I love you, brother. But not for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us need the Savior. Colossians 3, 20, uh, Colossians 2.13 And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us our trespasses. Here is the gospel by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. How often are you overcome by the fact that all the sin in your life that stood before you being able to enter into eternity with God has been canceled. How often are we moved to become more like Christ when we ponder on the cross? This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the gospel, that the Son of God, Jesus, exchanged his righteousness for our sin and was raised to life so that our faith would not be futile and he has won the salvation for those who believe in the finished work on the cross. That's why you sit here today as a saved son or a saved daughter. Why is Christ so sufficient to win our salvation? Because when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God promised he would send a sacrifice as a savior that will be eternally sufficient. God himself provided the only sacrifice, Jesus, who could atone for our sins so that God's perfect son would fulfill God's perfect law so that you and I could be met by perfect love. Friends, are you the same today as you were yesterday or are you becoming more like Christ on a daily basis as you behold the wonder of the cross if I can please ask the band to come up we're going to go into a time of worship because I feel like that's the response that God is provoking in us but 2 Corinthians 2 5 21 says that God made him Christ who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You and I are here because the Savior laid down His life in exchange for yours. I want to end with the story and we're going to go into worship. Ten years ago, I got saved. I came to saving faith in Christ. But when I was at school... I was the furthest thing from a saint. I might have had a cheeky smile in school. I was very sporty. I was liked by my peers, but not by the teachers. So I used to have a run with the law enforcement a lot. And by law enforcement, I mean the teachers at the school. And what actually ended up happening is, by the time I finally left school, I feel like the teachers threw a party. Seriously. They were like, thank you, like that he has gone. Our lives can carry on. That's okay. And I don't mean to over tell that story it's genuinely how it was i would butt heads with teachers all the time i was just a nonsense i was caught up in a whole bunch of stuff and i was just i didn't know jesus 
And about, about six months later, the first six months after school, I came to know Christ. And in that year, I felt that God had said to me, I was thinking, God, what am I going to do with my life? And I felt God had said, go back into the local high school that you're from. There's 1,600 students there who can hear about the goodness of me in your life. So that's what I did. I went back to the local high school and I asked them, can I, like, this is what's happened in my life. I'd love to be able to impact these teenagers and meet with them. I would do detention classes with them on a Friday, all sorts of things. And I remember this one teacher, Mrs. Barnard, I'll never forget her name. She hated me at school and I hated her. It was like a hate-hate relationship, equally fine across the board. We didn't like each other, got kicked out of her class all the time. Like it was hectic. And when she saw me walking in that school about a year later, she almost fell off of a chair. She came up to me, she grabbed me, and she said, what are you doing back here? Not like, I'm happy to see you. Like, we should call the police. What the hell are you doing here, you know? She said, what are you doing here? And I told her what had happened. And she was suspicious of me for a long time, rightfully so. And after some time, she came up to me, and I remember exactly where we were standing, she said to me, Dylan, I need to know what has happened. Because I remember the boy who was in school for five years and terrorized us. And here stands this man impacting the lives of other people. What has changed? And I looked at her and I remember exactly where I stood. And I said, Miss Barnard, it's Jesus. The more I get to know him, the more I become like him. Stand with me. that is what I feel like God has provoked in me to share with you today is as you spend time seeing the face of Jesus, spending time with him in the word making him the priority of your heart, friends we become like him because we are most satisfied in God when he's most glorified in us we see the change in our life that's eternally lasting when it comes from the cross. So I ask you again, are you more like Christ today than you were yesterday and the day before and the day before? Because I believe that God is wanting to call you back to look inside your heart and say, what am I filling my life with? What am I allowing? What are the voices? How, how is the world entertaining me? How is the world distracting me from seeing you clearly? God's calling us to be a people that prioritize Him in our hearts. And as we do that, as we behold His glory and focus on the greatness and the wonder of Christ, friends, we become like Him. Not so that we could be glorified, but so that He is glorified.